You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. Today I'm speaking with the great Jamie Rivera. Jamie, thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. We were just talking about Mr. Robot and <laughs> conspiracies. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about science fiction because I know it's something that's right up your alley. Sure. How long have you, I guess, like, what, what's, what's your earliest draw to science fiction? Uh, well, my dad was really into it. Uh, I think the, the first movie I remember seeing was uh, uh, we saw Star Wars in the theater. Uh, I think it was... Uh, probably some, like a re-release in between uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. Actually, no. My first, my earliest recollection is uh, this is one of my earliest memories. I think was going to see Empire Strikes Back uh, opening night with my dad. Wow! And uh, I remember like standing in line outside the theater. This is before like uh, Cineplexes. Uh, so we're standing outside, and they have like the the spotlights. Uh, outside the theater, so I don't think I, I knew exactly what was going on. I do remember thinking, not knowing exactly what like a film theater experience would be like, and thinking it would be like a staged play, and wondering how they would do like Tie Fighters like live mm. on stage, uh, and lightsabers and all that stuff. How they would like move uh, the set so quickly, uh, and then. Uh, realized that that's not what it was, that they had already prepared it, and uh, I would just watch it. It's funny the way that a little kid's brain like just fills in big gaps in knowledge uh-huh. with assumptions. I remember for the longest time thinking that when you put mail into a blue mailbox on the street, it went down a shaft <laughs> underground, and that there were just tiny... They hired, for whatever reason, I thought it was small people. They hired uh-huh. small people because I guess I thought they needed to save money with lower ceilings with these subterranean <laughs> tunnels. But they were just small people sorting your mail and then putting them up into other blue mailboxes where your mailman would go retrieve it and then put it into your door. Right. I, uh, I was talking... I think with Charlie Whitcroft not too long ago about this of like, um, I wonder how many of those gaps, like my brain just filled in arbitrarily and I never bothered to like replace it or update that information. So I wonder how much of like my perception of reality right now is founded on little kid assumptions that I just never corrected. Well, I feel like a lot of that, that stuff just gets dumped. Like if, if it hasn't been updated in a while, then you just... Uh, uh, it just goes into the ether, kind of like. Uh, uh, have you seen Inside Out? Uh, no. I think it's a, like a brilliant movie, uh, like one of one of Pixar's best, possibly the best. I don't know about that. Uh, time will tell. Yeah. But I was really moved by it. But the thing that I thought was really fascinating about it was that they built uh, a narrative around how memory functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and use all this uh, like memory theory to uh, illustrate a, a theme and a story. And I'm watching it, at, and at one point I'm just like, this is like such an educational thing. Like once you get past like you know the story and, and all that, and think about how they're um, using this as a metaphor for uh, a brain structure and and memory structure and all that stuff. It's like that's so 
fucking smart, mm. you know? And that was like one of the things that I really appreciated about it. That and it made me cry my ass off. That's what everybody tells me. It, yeah. And I'm, I, I, I don't think I come across as like a very emotional person. Yeah. I know that I don't. Uh, but, uh, but there's something about movies sometimes where I'll just like even stupid shit. Like there was one time I was watching, uh, uh, like Armageddon, my my uh, roommate in college had it on uh, videotape, and I was bored, and I was like, I'll put it on, and like I'll like I'll just lay on the couch and I'll go take a nap, you know, put me to sleep, and I just became like fascinated with it, like I couldn't, like I was enthralled, yeah. And it wasn't the first time that I had seen it; uh, it was maybe like the third or fourth time that I had seen it, um, but uh, it gets to the end. And I just, like, I fucking lost it. Yeah. And I couldn't, I wasn't high or anything. Maybe a little bit tired, but I just fucking lost it. Uh, so I don't know what it is about, like, uh, movies that uh, gets me emotional like that. I mean, I guess, like, movies are manipulative. You yeah. know, they want to do that. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I find that I'm, like relatively susceptible to it there are well like i there's a way where like in real life you know like you're just kind of being pulled in so many different directions simultaneously and feeling so many different things simultaneously that sometimes at least for me i can like lack a focal point of stuff to like really feel about and then movies are great because they put this frame around a moment or this frame around a situation Mm -hmm. and just call your attention directly to like the goodbye moment and then you're free just because it's concentrated you're free to really feel you know for these characters but i think too with like crappy movies that still (laughs) move you there's something extra special about that because like you're able to both uh, uh, enjoy the full scope of these emotions that you're feeling for these characters, but it also triggers this part of your mind that knows, like, this is ridiculous. Right. And there's kind of like a pleasure of getting those emotions out and getting to experience them without getting fully carried away. You know what I mean? Like It's, yeah. it's like the skeptic and the feeler are both present and enjoying them themselves and enjoying their function you know while you're watching like teen wolf or something teen wolf (laughs) i i i go for the applause every time he he at the end of the movie when he goes past pam right goes to boof and it's such a predictable moment it's ridiculous formulaic yeah um but i wonder if also there's something about uh sometimes if we think of our own lives as uh, a narrative that we think of, uh, like certain episodes, it's like, wow, this is like out of a shitty movie. Yeah. And there's something about that when watching a shitty movie that you also identify with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, aside from like the overt moment, like the thing that they want you to think about, there's something that you relate to as far as like, that's fucking stupid. I can't believe that that's what they said. Yeah. You know, I think we all have those kind of moments and it's just like, all right, well, someone put it up on a movie. Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. I've been thinking recently about exactly that, of like framing our own lives as narratives Mm -hmm. and the ways that we use stories and movies and and, uh, uh, TV shows to kind of um, uh, give like 
structure and resonance to our own experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a way where like, obviously you create material to like reflect the experiences of real life as you understand it. Mm -hmm. But you also start like reshaping or or like reprocessing your own life to fit the stories that you enjoy. It's like there's like a, a, a gradual merging together of these worlds of like real life experience and this completely made up narrative world that we're creating, but they're like fusing together in this in this other uh, 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 cultural headspace that we're manufacturing for ourselves. Well, it kind of reminds me of something I've been thinking about lately, which I think is related to what you're saying, is uh, like I, I think about. Uh, religion sometimes, and I'm not uh, a religious person, but sometimes I feel like, uh, like a lot of people, that there is like uh, a, a guiding force, mm-hmm. you know, God, um, and that when you arrive uh, at a place or a moment in your life, it's because that's where you're supposed to be. Um, and then other times, it's just like, no, nah, this is just uh, a series of events. Sometimes. Uh, distant events that had a ripple effect and then uh, that's what caused you to be here along with like your own decisions you know that's what caused you to be here not necessarily a guiding force and I go back and forth with that uh, a lot and I I think I at least now I kind of lean towards uh, you know things do have meaning uh, but it's a meaning that we kind of ascribe to it you know Mm kind of like there's uh, this uh, dream theory that uh, the the images that we see when we dream they're not reflective of your subconscious necessarily it's just uh, the firing of neurons and then that triggers uh, an image and then later when uh, when we wake up and process a the dream then we uh, then we ascribe meaning to it mm-hmm. uh, because we need to put order and meaning uh, onto everything. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really not your subconscious expressing yourself itself. It's just random shit. Yeah. And then later it's like, Oh yeah, that's because I feel this way about that. Right. And it, according to this theory, it isn't, but we give it meaning. And I don't know if that's any less important, but, uh, but it might just be, you know, the way that, most of us think about dreams as just bullshit. It's yeah. just random. And then I kind of think maybe that's what life is. It's yeah. just random bullshit. And then we put meaning on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting image to think about. I kind of see it as like the random circumstances that you're born into and, and, and the randomness and chaos of the world happening around you and happening in you based on, you know, the laws of nature um, but then over the course of a lifespan, you know, it's the way that your brain and your nervous system are processing that data and integrating that data and w- weaving that data into this narrative that you're creating. So, like, there is a way to think about a person's life as being a person's story. Mm-hmm. And and so, like, you're making sense and you're making a story out of this raw material that's in front of you. Right. I used to uh, have this pet theory. It still sounds pretty good to me, but I can't prove it. About dreams that like your brain, when you're a kid and you don't like know the rules to stuff yet, you accept 
just like raw sensory information. And then the more you begin to understand the rules of the world around you and the more you begin to socialize and, and you not only understand how things like perspective work and you understand like object permanency, but then you start to learn like social rules and, and what you should like and what you shouldn't like and all that kind of shit. Um, uh, uh, my theory is that you you absorb a certain amount of like sensory information throughout the course of the day and that stuff that can be edited into your like cultural imprint and your life script gets mm-hmm. accepted in and, and is experienced by you as reality and but you're always experiencing the stuff that doesn't quite fit into it and your brain's still taking it in but it doesn't know what to do with it so it just mm-hmm. kind of filters it off and then when you're dreaming it's like bits and pieces of of real experiences that just don't fit any models that you have kind of cluster together in ways that seem sensible enough right. so they're like your brain experimenting with new ways to cope with this information that it just doesn't know how to uh, uh, how to process well, think, that makes a lot of sense like i don't uh, I, I don't know if that's uh, if that's true or not, but it, no it definitely makes sense. Like that, uh, that phenomenon where, uh, you're, you're, you're working on something, uh, like I think the first time I heard this, uh, the first example was, uh, uh, someone playing guitar, trying to learn uh, a song guitar and they can't quite get it. Mm-hmm. So they go to sleep and then, uh, then they wake up and then they try it first thing in the morning and it just clicks. So, like, what you're saying about, like, processing this material that doesn't quite jive yet, uh, it, it fits into that, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy it. That Thanks. makes sense to me. Thanks. Thanks. How do you feel about... Uh, um, so, I find myself when I'm improvising... I'm doing this less and less these days, but for years... I would just blatantly steal from movies and TV shows left and right. If anything in a scene even vaguely felt like something from a TV show that I liked, I just did that TV show and felt no shame about it whatsoever. Uh-huh. How do you feel about that as a, as a, as a pretty hip pop culture guy? <laughs> uh, thanks. Uh, uh, I, I do it once in a while. I try to do it sparingly now. Yeah. Uh, I think I used to do it a lot more, uh, uh, just kind of almost like a, a, a tribute to that thing, yeah. you know? Like, I would do Star Wars scenes, like, constantly, you know? Um, uh, now I, I I do it less. I think if if something is screaming for the reference, uh, I'll do it. Uh, but I'm doing a lot less. I think there was, like, a time where if if there was ever a scene and I'm on the sidelines uh, that was taking place on an airplane, Mm -hmm. then I would say like seven times out of 10, I would come out as like the, the gremlin Mm -hmm. on the, on the wing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Uh, I, I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with it. Uh, I think you have to be careful with it. Uh, I, I, probably depends on what kind of show what kind of group you're doing yeah uh sometimes it 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 screams for it yeah uh but i i try to find the original thing or not original because i think when you do that it takes you out of the the moment in a way like you're you're sort of commenting on what's going on uh, from the outside Mm -hmm. rather than 
being invested in what's going on between the the characters right and that's something that I gravitate towards more now, just like getting to uh the characters in her lives rather than like this other stuff yeah uh but it's also like on the other side it's also like really fucking fun sometimes yeah. to play uh, a gremlin on a wing so i'll allow myself to do it once in a while but also it's just like well let's see what's going on between these two people on the airplane first there are definitely times where it's just like oh it'd be the most fun thing in the world to do this twilight zone scene right now yeah and like you you can't not do it just because it it, it, it it's so much fun. And I think if if I, you know, we're, we're kind of like forced to, uh, make that idea more respectable. I might also say that there, there is kind of something, uh, about sharing your enthusiasm, sharing the stuff that you love publicly on stage, Mm -hmm. you know, like it tends to, to bring like a buoyancy to shows and a lightness to shows and just like this happiness because you're watching someone who's just so crazy about what they're doing right now. Yeah. You're watching someone like genuinely pretend the way that you pretend when you're a kid where you Mm -hmm. just dress up as these other ready-made characters. It's also like for me, um, uh, like I'll catch myself in a scene sometime where, where like the image will flash into my head of like, oh, I'm just like McNulty now from The Wire, <laughs> and like, and then the thought is like, well, then I can just borrow everything about McNulty for this. It may not necessarily right. be McNulty, you know, like though oftentimes it is. I think when I first watched The Wire, I think I crammed McNulty into like every other show. I just found a way to always be an irresponsible cop. Right. Uh, well, I think that's a little different because I, I think. A lot of times, if 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 that's just in your head and you're ma- not making a, a, a direct reference yeah. to the wire, then that's just a character that you're playing or yeah. kind of an archetype uh, that you're playing, and people won't necessarily realize that uh, that's what you're doing unless you hit it over the head. Yeah, uh, it's like, uh, 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 do you know Billy West? Uh, he does. Uh, uh, he's a voiceover guy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He does uh, Futurama, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, he was talking once about uh, uh, how someone asked him how he came up with his characters, and he was explaining that like a lot of his characters are just shitty impressions of uh, other people that yeah. you might know, but because they're a little bit off, you don't necessarily recognize it as that person. It's yeah. just like a character. Yeah. You know? Uh, so I think that's what that is. Like Sometimes I'll try to do... Uh, an impression of uh, or I'll have a, a, a basis for someone uh, as kind of a character in a scene or a point of view in a scene and because I'm such a shitty impressionist it comes across as like a uh, not that character at all but still I, I hope somewhat vivid because I, I have uh, a little bit more uh, of a foundation going into it yeah so it's not like I'm um, like starting vague and then it's crystallizing. Like it's a little bit more crystallized uh, going in. For me, those choices work best when when I treat them like just a like a filter, mm-hmm. and and then it, it it I just filter my own reactions through it. And over time, the longer you're in the scene, that filter tends to pronounce certain ideas and and kind of. Right. Different ideas disappear. I, 
I'm curious what your take is on this because I always find that like when I do that, when I, I do like a bad impression of somebody or I do my German accent, <laughs> a lot of times that like snaps me right into place. Like then shit starts coming out of me that I I am not to be arrogant, but I'm as delighted about as anybody. Mm-hmm. Shit's coming out of your mouth. That's like I I didn't expect that. And then you say this wonderful thing. You have like access to like a different way of thinking, and and there's something about like having somebody else's voice coming out of your mouth that takes some of the responsibility off of like behaving yourself or right. you know what I mean being the 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 um, the socially safe responsible version of yourself. For people. Sure. So even though I know that that has that effect very often, I still find it. I make those choices less and less these days and I have to constantly remind myself to do that. Is that something that comes with age as an improviser in your opinion or is it just me? What do you think? Uh, I think uh, maybe that's just you. Cause I know like I find myself doing that more and more yeah. now. Uh, I think uh, for, for a very long time I would just play uh, uh Close, very close to myself. Yeah, you know, it's me on the moon or uh, me in the desert, whatever it is. It's just like me in there, uh, and I don't, I don't play character uh, too, too much. But uh, I, I find, yeah, it, it's very useful just to like uh, one. It's fun, even if you're doing like a really bad uh, job of it. Like I remember, uh, I was in a show. Uh, uh, and the, there was a scene that took place in like a like a prohibition era bar where everyone was talking in an Irish accent, and I'm on the sidelines. And it, it really uh, great character improvisers in the scene. It was like uh, like Lauren Olson, I think Jana, uh, Christian, John Rukas, they were in the scene. So <clears throat> they, unlike me, have the ability to just like snap right into an accent, mm-hmm. and then uh, they can carry it. But I'm watching the scene and like, oh, I better be so much fun to talk in an Irish accent right now. Uh, I'm going to find a reason to like go in. So I go in as like an Irish cop. And I think for like maybe the first three words that I spoke, I had like a pretty decent Irish accent. And then it immediately just like started fluctuating wildly. And then that became like the crux of the scene was like me doing like a shitty accent. Mm -hmm. And uh, a few months later I was uh, subbing a class and during the break uh, this guy comes up to me he's like hey I just wanted to say uh, uh, I really I've seen you in a couple shows I really like your work and I'm like oh thanks he's like yeah I remember the scene you did where uh, you were in a bar and I knew exactly what he was talking about and it it felt weird because it was just like uh, on one hand you know thanks you know I'm glad you thought it was funny but it was also like I was failing miserably at what I was trying to do. Yeah. Um, but even still, like, I think it, it gave that character, like, a point of view, you know, somehow, like, somewhere, even though I'm struggling and people are, like, pimping me into, like, more and more of this, uh, this shitty accent, um, it, it still gives you something. And it's... Uh, I think maybe when you, when you play close to yourself then um, it's harder to, like, have a strong point of view about something mm-hmm. because it's, it's just like, oh, I'm, just, I'm just me. Right. You know, yeah. and everything seems normal to you. Right. 
like when you when you catch up with someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time, and like, oh, hey, what's going on? Nothing much, mm-hmm. you know. And you haven't seen this person in ten years. Like, tons of shit has happened to you, uh, but to you, it's just all normal. Right. So, kind of the same thing with like scene work. Uh, uh, when you when you play someone else, then it's new and it's fresh to you. Yeah, and it's that freshness I think that helps drive you in a scene or helps you uh, find the interesting thing, at least to your character in the scene. I uh, I read in this book one time. It was it was on reading and interpreting Shakespeare, and a uh, piece of advice was in um, uh, like prepping a Shakespeare monologue, but doing it in an Italian accent or a Transylvanian accent, or a thick Irish accent. You know? uh-huh. And um, the effect is pretty amazing. When you do stuff in, in a heavy Italian accent, you <laughs> first off, these lines become so much clearer. You kind of instantly engage with the emotional undercurrent of the line, and there's like a freedom uh, to dramatize it. I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate experience of having to read Shakespeare out loud to people, but it can be very embarrassing if you're not trained to do it. And you have a tendency to like speak in this like shitty clipped half British accent right. and everything is flat and pretentious and whatnot. But there's something about adding the flavor of this Italian accent that gives you the freedom to do exactly that, to, to not just be normal, to not just be every day. You begin kind of milking these moments and milking these, these emotions that you don't have access to in your own voice. It's a really cool exercise. Yeah, and I wonder if also, like, uh, part of it is just, like, uh, uh, I heard this thing about uh, if horses are in pain, they'll tie their tongues with the shoelace so that when they're running, they're thinking about uh, the, the the pain in their tongue mm-hmm. rather than, like, the pain in their, their legs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, like, a distraction thing. So I wonder if, like, that's also part of it where sure. you're kind of thinking about... Uh, uh, the accent and it frees you up to be a little bit more natural and then when something does strike you then it has your attention yeah uh, uh, that's what I would think that makes sense one of my favorite things uh, about about improvising is that you can get away with shit like bad accents and bad mm-hmm. acting uh, and and People not only forgive it, but like see right through it too. Like you could never get away on uh, on like an off Broadway stage right. with the shit that we get away with. But a lot of times you can end up with very similar results. You can end up playing this really ridiculous character that by the end of a show, people feel pretty strongly for. You feel like you've gotten to like this person has emotion and a point of view and, and has things to say, and the audience is totally forgiving of the nonsense of it because the entire spirit of the thing is play and pretend right. and goofiness. Yeah, I think we have, uh, when we improvise, we we have a lot more latitude with like getting away with kind of uh, shitty performance. Like if you put up, if you just transcribed an improv scene and just did it verbatim uh, as part of like a scripted show. Yeah. I don't know if it would if it would land as hard yeah. most of the time. Uh, I think the the audience usually gives us uh, a little bit more leeway as far as that. And I think we give ourselves uh, a little bit more leeway um, just because it is uh, the the miracle of improv is that uh, 
we can kind of think up these things on the spot and it's like wow that's pretty clever for just having thought that yeah you know um you couldn't get away with that on broadway because there is like a level of expectation uh polish that you expect Mm -hmm. um but i think it's it's also like kind of the fun thing about it is that because it to some degree is expected to be unpolished then you can kind of when when it's called for kind of fuck around yeah which is fun. Uh, it's one of the things I like about uh, playing on, on JV is that there's a lot of, like, fuckery, you know? Uh, uh, especially with, like, um, with Megan. Like, she's very playful. Uh, and not necessarily looking for, like, how do I make an emotional impact? Just, like, what's the, f- like the most fun I can, the funnest thing I can do right now? Yeah. Uh, and again, it may not play in like a, like in a sketch show, but in that moment, it's great. It's awesome. Yeah. There's something just basically exciting about watching people make the existential choice to increase their pleasure and fun rather than decrease their pleasure and fun or to go the serious route. And that's something that, uh, uh, that you guys as a team are amazing at. So you're a founding member of junior varsity. You guys have been together for a long time. Yeah. Well, like seven years, eight years. Long time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, that, for anybody who's never seen JV, you guys do three opening scenes, group game, and then an open run. And the three scenes tend to be a little bit longer mm-hmm. and a little bit more focused. There's not really walk-ons or anything, more focused on kind of what's going on with the characters. And then after the group game, you guys kind of like turn a corner yeah. and begin just fucking with as much as possible from what you've created. Yeah. And, and your shows get super, super fast. And they get funnier and funnier as they go on. Thanks. And there's like a dedicated focus on everybody's part to just have the most fun possible with the material that you've created for yourself. Yeah. What's, what's like the guiding, what's your guiding thing when you're doing a JV show? Where is your head at? Well, I think initially it's just uh, uh, that, that first beat, those first three scenes, uh, just playing as uh, grounded as possible uh, and not necessarily looking for laughs. Um, there have been, there was a while where, uh, we would be in shows and, uh, we would have those first three scenes and they weren't necessarily very funny and going into the second beat, just thinking, wow, we're having a dog show right now. Like this is not going very well. Um, and then it, uh, turns the corner as you say, uh, and then it, it, it picks up and then we find those like fun uh, nuggets in each thing or those themes or uh, elements and then we just explore those things yeah. so just having like a like a strong foundation at the top that maybe isn't necessarily funny but it's hopefully interesting um, and invest in those characters as much as we can in those situations as much as we can um, fuels the rest of the show so if those if those first scenes aren't Um, if they don't have uh, uh, that strong foundation where we're, where we're being grounded or we're exploring uh, the situation in, in the world, then the rest of the show falls apart. Mm-hmm. And that's happened. And I think they're like more than likely if like the, the first beat is very fast um, and we don't know anything, we don't really know anything about these characters. 
uh, then the rest of the show falls apart because we don't have those things to, to pick from. Yeah. Um, so in, I guess in the, in the second part of the show, uh, I'm just trying to uh, remember from the, from the first beat what struck me, uh, what I think would be fun to play with, and then exploring that. Uh, and then I, I think because we do play fast, a lot of it is just kind of like instinctual or, or muscle memory where like uh, something happens in that second beat and before I know it, like I'm, I'm out there and I'm uh, making a tag out and initiating uh, another direction, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of times I, I don't really have like a, uh, too much of a plan. It's just, oh, I like that. And mm-hmm. then the tag happens. Um, which I think partly comes from uh, playing with them for for a long time. Yeah. I don't know that we we probably didn't have that kind of uh, uh, speed when we first started, uh, but I think a lot of it also just comes from from trusting them. Like even if I come out with uh, a piss poor idea, that someone's gonna turn it into something that's interesting, yeah. you know, uh, and just from playing with them and knowing like these are really good improvisers, uh, knowing that I can just kind of go out there and, uh, uh, and just do the idea without having to think about it, think it through too much and they'll save me yeah. if, if that's what it calls for. That's kind of the hallmark of a really, really great team right or like really great teamwork for for me a really great team is made up of people who were looking to help each other not think so hard when they're up there Mm -hmm. you know like uh uh, and so like giving you the freedom to get to make choices without having to second guess yourself too much or without having to even think about is this good enough right just because you know that like somebody's going to find something that's part of the thing that's so fun about watching you guys is like it's like watching a bunch of like water dowsers or something you just like have a sense for like where in this scene is the is the stream flowing? Where's the fresh water in this scene? Right, and I think also the thing about like playing uh, so fast, uh, I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's competitive, but um, like if you want to, if you want to get in there, then you have to like get in there fast. And I think, at least for me, I think sometimes it, it happens so quickly that um, I'm not. Because I, I, I'm not thinking about the move that mm-hmm. I'm about to make, uh, I don't have time to judge it mm-hmm. as being shitty. You know, uh, there are a lot of times when you know I've, I, I sat on a move, and it's like ah, I missed the moment. Uh, and then in talking about a show, like afterwards, like yeah, I kind of want to do this thing. It's like oh, that's a good idea. And it's like yeah. And then but because I had judged the move before I had made it, yeah. I didn't even try it. Yeah. You know, whereas if I did it. Uh, it it might have been successful, you know, or maybe it wouldn't have. And if even if it wouldn't, like, what's the worst thing that happens? Yeah. You know, uh, you made a shitty move, someone bails you out, or even worse, someone doesn't bail you out, and then you have a little egg on your face. I mean, big deal. That element of surprise that comes when when you make an instantaneous choice like that and it works. Mm-hmm usually outweighs the feeling of shittiness you have when you make it and it doesn't work like yeah. that, 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 that shitty feeling f- usually lasts for me like a night and a morning, 
yeah. and then it, it kind of like dissipates. But that high that you get from from having surprised yourself with something that seemed to be completely spontaneous or yes. sub- completely subconscious, those are usually the ones that kind of last in your memory for a long time. Yeah, and I I love those kind of moves. Like there, uh, I don't I don't know that it's happened in a while, but uh, there there were a couple times where. Uh, I would make a move and then afterwards it, it felt like an out of body experience, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as if someone, uh, to use that, like, uh, like an instrument of God kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're just like a pen in God's hand, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of how it, how it felt like someone, like you were channeling some, something. And then that's what made, uh, that really fun move. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, the more it just seemed like, uh, it's probably just your subconscious expressing itself. And then you're, you're almost like, to kind of get back to dreams a little bit, uh, you're, you're, you're starting to put out this kind of subconscious dreamlike stuff, mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting, uh, if for no other reason than it's below the surface. Uh, so you're starting to get like this really deep stuff out, rather than just like all the, 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 the surface stuff that we all, always see, you mm-hmm. know, behavior on the street, uh, uh, general interactions uh, you can see a lot of that but just getting to like uh, your own subconscious and I think probably your 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 own voice you yeah. know uh, that's how you start to express yourself stylistically yeah it um, it reminds me of David Lynch's book Catching the Big Fish have mm-hmm. you heard of that? I I haven't. It's his book on transcendental meditation and creativity. It's it's okay. It's a, a lot of like short <laughs> chapters, but he talks about uh, that as like ideas being like fish, and and when you stay in the shallows, you tend to have very small fish. Yes. And the deeper you go, there's less frequent fish, but they tend to be bigger and more exotic and more surprising. Yes. And so you got to take that risk of kind of going out into the depth a little bit, which is interesting. I agree with that. That there is something very like. Part of the high feeling of that, of like feeling like you're just like channeling this this intelligence. Mm-hmm. Part of the high of it is is probably that like you are experiencing your your uh, self with a minimum of conscious interference or right. self questioning or, or doubting, and there is like you get a huge high off of that. There's like a feeling of being at the same time totally at home mm-hmm. and also out of body. That it, yes. it's this weird contradictory experience where you feel totally yourself and not not exactly part of your experience. Yeah, and I think also it's like I mean, there's something about it that's that's spiritual too. I think like if you think about who's it. Uh, Buddha says God isn't everyone. Sure. Who said that? Some, someone said that. Um, so if like God is in ourselves and we're accessing ourselves, I think that allows us to access this kind of spiritual side of ourselves that, uh, that we normally, and most people don't. And I, it might've been you that was talking about this, uh, about how improvisers seem to age better than like, like if you look at your high school friends, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they don't necessarily age. I mean, some of them age great. Uh, some but, of them do. Uh, but uh, because I think part of it is we're, 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 we play a lot. Um, but also I think we're more likely to access like the, our, our own like inner God, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just by, uh, by improvising and, and, 
breaking those walls down and allowing ourselves to really express ourselves, yeah. then we're, we get to express ourselves in a way that most people don't, yeah. uh, which I think helps us not age. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. My guess is that like, I'm willing to bet anybody in any job is capable of having those experiences. Sure. And like, I'm willing to bet that there's, there's guys who work on cars and auto body shops who are like mm-hmm. walking around high as a kite most of the time, just because you're so in the zone, right? You're so like at one with your experience that it probably does access to that. It, there does seem to be some kind of like rejuvenating quality to it. Yeah. I, um, I was also like thinking, uh, along those lines of like uh, uh, when you're in those shows and you just kind of suddenly like not only know exactly what to do but you kind of know where the people around you are going to be in a second mm-hmm. you like know where they're going to land you know where to throw the ball it's just this feeling of like certainty and like people have described that in in very like mysterious terms but I was thinking of like the metaphor of like if if there's like a a, a guy running from the law on the streets and you're in a helicopter you could see that he's about to turn right because you have a bird's eye view of the whole thing and Mm so you're able to predict certain things that someone on the street just isn't capable of predicting because your vantage point's totally different and there are definitely times and i don't know how how we get there i don't know exactly how you find your way back to it but there are times when you're in a show where it feels like you kick into this like brain pattern where it's like you're watching it from above a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's just like you have the layout of the geography and you just kind of know that like, well, of course Megan's going to be by the door in a second. Yeah. She's just going to be. Whereas like there are other shows where you just feel so hopelessly confused by everything. It's like you've been shrunk down to a little tiny person and you're looking up and you're just like overwhelmed by like how big everything is around you. You can't get any vantage point. Yeah, and I feel like I'm more likely to get to that kind of place or some, something like that. If I, if I go into a show and I'm like exhausted or I'm sick, yeah. um, there's something about that. And I think maybe it, it, it goes back to like being like a little bit distracted by something else. So you're not like uh, super focused and uh, uh, you're, you're letting uh, those walls down a little bit because yeah. you're thinking about like, oh, Jesus, I'm, I just want to go back to bed, you know. Um, uh, there's something about about that, and maybe it's also like getting back to like uh, accessing your subconscious, you know, like you know, it, it's a little bit like being kind of kind of drunk, where like you'll say things that you normally don't say. You're a little bit more more honest and more raw. Yeah. Um, but if I do a show and I'm and I'm tired like really tired uh not always but i i feel like i'm more likely to have like a good show yeah um just by being distracted well there's something too like you're not watching yourself quite as closely you're not the Mm -hmm. stakes are a little bit lower because you don't have your eyes on on your own performance quite as much right there's also like that thing when you're sick where it's like when you have a fever and and uh like it's very easy to just kind of like zone out and have like waking dreams begin occurring to you. Mm -hmm. There's just like less power, you know, being, being diverted to your self 
consciousness. Right. And so you like are able to access all the subliminal stuff much, much easier. It's right. just kind of like they're dancing in front of you. And, and for me, it's exactly that same stuff that happens on stage. It's exactly those things where it's like, I don't really care about myself enough right now. I'm not holding myself in huge regard right now because I feel shitty Right. that suddenly you'd be in the middle of a moment and these like great images come to you. And that's when you're like, Oh, I'm McNulty. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, oh, of course, you know, like it, it, uh, it, it so a similar thing happens like when you're showering in the morning, you just kind of like just relaxed enough, but just alert enough to have like free access to all this wonderful stuff just underneath the surface. I do my best improv in the shower. Yeah. I play characters in the shower that like it would be impossible to recreate on a stage. I just don't have the ability to make those voices, but then you're just in this like perfect perfect warm state in the morning that Mm -hmm. you're able to like freely give voice to it yeah i feel like i have a lot of like uh like funny ideas like i make myself laugh a lot uh when i'm taking a shower and sometimes i'll kind of like play an idea out yeah and it just like talk to myself i used to talk to myself a lot more yeah like probably more when i was a kid uh i i think i probably being like a quasi only child like I, I grew up uh with my with my mom mostly and then I would see my dad on the weekends uh but uh but I, I was like a latchkey kid and uh at least for a while probably not until like fifth grade didn't really have like uh a lot of friends mm-hmm. you know uh so I would uh when I would get home I would just like make up stuff you know uh and once in a while I would uh I wouldn't say put it together. I think that implies like maybe too much effort, but like when, when my parents were making the, the, the drop off, like the switch, mm-hmm. you know, my dad would bring me uh, to my mom's apartment and you know, they would hang out for a little bit and then I would like put up a show and it was mostly just like me talking to myself, but in front of an audience, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then I would use like, stuffed animals to like play out these kind of different voices. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know. They, they thought it was funny. Uh, so I think it, 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 that's kind of like the same thing we want to, I wasn't like judging myself. Mm Uh, and I was just like going with it. And I think that's the kind of thing that, that, uh, I, I hope to do in shows where I'm not, I'm just like doing it, uh, being in the, uh, in the moment and having fun, like exploring ideas that are interesting to me, uh, exploring those in a show. And hopefully, uh, that's also interesting to, uh, to the audience and the people that I'm playing with. Yeah. I, I have very similar goals. I find that the longer I'm improvising, the more, um, the more I'm trying to get back to like this kind of innocent place. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember like I had a ventriloquist dummy for a little while when I was a kid. And I remember like putting on shows in my basement. In my memory, the neighborhood kids would come out to see it. But like now that I think about it, like what neighborhood kids, there were no neighborhood (laughs) kids, but I'm like certain I didn't make them up. I'm certain that there were people there. I put on shows for people. Right. It almost sounds like, you grew up in the Little Rascals. If well, it feels like it. Thinking about <laughs> it like that, it, um, uh, I always thought that was amazing. Like I, I used to love uh, the Little Rascals and our gang. Yeah, if, 
for no other reason than they were just like they had they had the initiative to like put up shows for yeah. each other yeah like you would have like darla who would like do like a sing- song and dance and uh, uh alfalfa would would sing too and what i guess that's all they did was song and dance yeah they, they would do like comedy and like boxing and stuff like that i seem yeah. to remember one of them was a boxing boxing match in the middle of like a vaudeville show that they were doing yeah but i thought that was great that like <laughs> they would do that and then also like their friends who weren't necessarily in the show yeah they would come out to see it which i think kind of that's like a lot of what the improv community is it's like a yeah. bunch of like uh little rascal groups and uh uh by and large like their friends who are also little rascals uh, coming out to like see and support it, yeah. you know, in this like, uh, like this backyard treehouse kind of thing, you know, or I guess they, they had a, I feel like their shows were in front of a treehouse. I remember them like being on a carpet. They had a clubhouse at some yeah. point, uh, or like they had access to a theater in one of them. I don't remember how or why, but they were able to put it up in a real theater. The convenience of story. Probably. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. Best not to not to probe too deeply into the logic of the little <laughs> rascals. But yeah, I, I agree with that. There is definitely, and it's like part of the clubhouse vibe of any improv theater that you go to, even like mm-hmm. UCB, which is like, you know, it is the comedy industry basically. Mm-hmm. It still feels like going to a clubhouse. Sure, it, all of them have that thing in common uh, where like, yeah, Little Rascals is kind of the perfect metaphor for it. We're all getting together and and like putting shit up for each other. Yeah, and uh, uh, it doesn't even have to be great. It's the effort of putting it up that ends up selling it. You know. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when I started to become. Uh, like mortified about uh, uh, performing in front of people. I still, to this day, I'm like, I, I, I cope with a lot of embarrassment about being on a stage. Mm-hmm. But there definitely is uh, 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 like that thing of like the dream is to eventually be back in that state of mind where it's just like you and your ventriloquist dummy, yeah, talking very directly to people and entertaining them with the shit that's that you've been. It's just been like pouring out of your brain recently with a minimum of self-consciousness, with a minimum of a sense of like nothing's at stake for me. I'm just kind of sharing with everybody the shit that I'm naturally doing in the shower anyway. Right. And that's, I think, kind of tough where when you know the audience. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think if you if you if you're doing a show in front of like a bunch of uh, randos, then like you're never going to see them again. Yeah. More than likely. Uh, so you, you don't feel that, uh, that pressure to not embarrass yourself. Um, uh, I, f- I feel more pressure to, uh, at least on stage, uh, not embarrass myself. If I, if I, if I look out in the audience and I see like, oh, I, I know those people, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to embarrass myself and i i don't want to like let them down i guess yeah um that that's tougher for me like i feel like i i i'd have jv and i also have a friday night show which uh tends to be uh random people not random i mean they they're distinct individuals Mm -hmm. but uh but they're not within the community and there are times when i feel like uh if I make a big choice in that show, it's because I'm 
uh, part of it is I'm not as scared to make a big choice because um, I'll, I'll never see them again. Yeah. Uh, if I make a big choice, uh, I think in a, in a JV show, it's probably because um, it's more likely because it was, it, there was something predicating it. Like it is something that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense. What kind of thing would, would predicate it? What's that? What kind of thing would predicate you making a big choice like that in a JV show? Like, would it be, it's just something that would be absolutely called for by your partner? Um, well, I think it's, it, it's also, uh, again, like, because I, because I trust them. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I'll just make the move and then judge it later. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's, I'm more likely to uh, maybe sit on a move if I'm aware of the audience. And there are times when like, you're just not aware. Like, you're, you're so into the show, um, so invested in the show that you're not thinking about the audience. So mm-hmm. you'll just make the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I, if I am thinking about the audience, then I, I, I feel a little bit more timid about it. Yeah. Especially if there's like a cute girl there. I know the feeling. Yeah. Uh, uh, you've performed, so you, you were on Harold Knight at UCB. That's actually the first time I saw you was at Harold Knight at UCB on oh, Trillion. Jesus. And, uh, you've performed, uh, with Second City on the ships. You're mm-hmm. on the Dawn. Uh, the Dawn. The Star. The Star. And, uh, you do JV regularly and mm-hmm. you also do Friday Night Show, which is a very different crowd than the usual Thursday crowd. How have the different crowds and the different places... Uh, uh, affected the way that you play or affected the state of mind that you're in when you're playing? Uh, well, I'll say about uh, uh, with Trillion at UCB, uh, I was very self-conscious. I think I, I was I was still pretty green, uh, even though I th- I've been doing improv in s- some capacity for a while uh, before that, and I think at the time I thought I was ready uh, looking back on it now, I don't think I was. And I think part of it was um, uh, there felt like there was a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's it's very competitive. So uh, when you get on a team, at least for me, I felt like I really have to show everyone uh, why I was picked mm-hmm. uh, out of all the people that, that auditioned, uh, why I got one of the few slots. Mm-hmm. And I think that really fucked with my play. Like there, I, I had maybe one show out of, I think we were together for uh, maybe about a year. In uh, that whole time I had like one show that I was like, I felt good about that show. Mm. Uh, everything else uh, I felt pretty shitty about. Um, so I think the, at that time the audience was very present for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the further along I go, I think the uh, I I can either block out the audience or I don't care mm-hmm. as much uh, about the not that I don't care that the audience is there. I'm you know grateful that they're there, uh, but it 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 doesn't affect me. Yeah, you know, um, I think with uh, with. With JV, there there isn't as much time to think about the audience, um, except for 
like the the first beats probably uh i'm thinking about the audience a lot more and then as we start moving uh faster uh there isn't time to think um uh second city was uh very unique because i think that and like friday night show are kind of similar in that you don't have people that are uh in the comedy world Mm -hmm. so um they haven't seen like the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. So yeah, they're just yeah. kind of like, uh, just the fact that you're up there is amazing to them. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, and if you if you make a, a move and it and it goes uh, pretty decent, then they're amazed by that. You know, rather than like a, a, a improviser heavy audience who's like, okay, I see how they got there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they don't necessarily see that connection. So. Uh, it's much more likely that you'll just blow someone's mind. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that it, it was fun in like a, like a very different way. Cause I think you get more of, and this is probably like, like an ego driven thing, but uh, you get a more enthusiastic uh, response from the audience because they're, uh, they don't know the tricks of the trade. Yeah. Uh, so to them, it's more like magic. Yeah. You know, it's harder to impress an improviser uh, watching your improv show because it's like, all right, yeah, I see that. Uh, maybe I would have made this move. You know, they're, I think sometimes they're thinking about that uh, rather than like just sitting back and enjoying the show yeah. and just getting like caught up in that. Yeah. Um, so there was something, uh, it's a different kind of gratification, I think. You know, I think also kind of the same thing with like, uh, uh, like my favorite show to do uh, on the on the cruise ship was uh, the family friendly shows because mm-hmm. you would have uh, the kids would sit right right up on the stage um, and they're so honest about their reactions. Yeah. Uh, so if if it's not going if a scene is not going well, then they'll just get up and leave. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't think we had like too much of that. Uh, but, uh, and I think for the most part, and I, I was pretty grateful the the cast I was with, uh, on that second city ship, I, like they were, they were amazing. Like they were, they were all like really cool and also very talented. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, the kids though, if, if they really liked something, then they would just go ape shit. You know, it would kind of like, uh, like the reaction you would see at like Showtime at the Apollo, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they would just like like they would fucking lose their shit, you know. Um, there, there was one time where um, I was I was on a sideline during during a scene. I may have told you this story. Um, I was on the sidelines and uh, someone else was uh, doing a scene, and like this three-year-old girl like comes over to me on the sideline and just starts like holding my hand like she just reaches up and holds my hand and I'm like what the fuck you know and it uh I look down and she's fucking adorable and uh and I think part like it it, it kind of like melted my heart and I think part of it is because like uh uh I am like relatively robotic, mm-hmm. you know, or, or emotion or even keel. I'll say even keeled or mild mannered. Yeah. I think that, you know, covers it, yeah. uh, so I was just surprised that like out of, out of all the p- people in the cast, like, uh, I was the one that she gravitated towards, yeah. you know? And, and I see her dad like coming over and she, he's trying to like 
get her to like come back without disrupting the show and it was just, and I, I just like really enjoyed it and was like it's cool man don't worry about it you know and then just like brought her into like the next scene with me you know um, and as, as we get older we don't have that uh, that freedom to express ourselves mm-hmm. you know um, uh, to be honest like that honest with someone like like if you saw some something that you really liked on stage you know the social barriers where it's just like I can't say that to them right now like I can't go right up to them right now and like hey Alan Cumming that was awesome mm-hmm. you're doing so fucking great right now you know um, you wouldn't do that so to have like someone do that during a show and it's like hey you're doing pretty good man uh i knowing that it was coming from an honest place uh as far as uh that that little girl was concerned uh was just like incredibly gratifying yeah and you probably wouldn't get that uh or something close to that uh in a in a theater full of improvisers they appreciate it on a different level yeah i think um, it's it's more and more rare, I think, the older we get to see a show and appreciate it on like a like a magical level. Yeah, you know, um, I will say like uh, one of those shows uh, where and it was a, it was a while ago, maybe a couple years ago, uh, was the uh, one of the Megaloo shows that you did, and I think the suggestion was was magic. Um, but there, there was something about, uh, about watching you guys play and that, that was like, holy shit, that was like that, that felt like magic, you know, uh, like watching a magician like work. And I think one of the things that, that amazed me about it was, uh, like I've seen you guys perform, like I, I perform with Megan all the time. Uh, I watch you all the time and, uh, and almost always like, wow, they're good. They're really fucking good. Um, but that show was like on another level, you know. Um, I would uh, the uh, uh, Kempsass show uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, the same kind of thing about that um, because their their level of connectedness in that show was astounding to me. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was nothing, there was nothing about it that wasn't, uh, invested. Yeah. You know, they were just totally connected to each other on stage and also just like, um, really good actors. Yeah. Which is something that, uh, uh, sometimes is, is, is missing in improvisation. Uh, just that, that, that skill of, acting and and being connected and i think if you're connected then the acting kind of just follows yeah um but uh a lot of times like if if i try to describe if i try to get someone from work uh to come see a show my impression is they just think like oh it's gonna be jamie telling fart jokes Mm -hmm. you know which might happen you know uh but they don't necessarily consider the 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 level of commitment that uh the performers put into it like hopefully if it's a fart joke it's a really high-end fart joke yeah you know um uh it's not just us like 
fucking around and doing bits. Hopefully we're being committed to it. Hopefully we're exploring uh, some interesting facet of humanity, you know, uh, connectedness, uh, the human condition, like those kind of things. Hopefully we hit on that. More than likely it's a fart joke. Uh, but hopefully we can like touch on that. But if it's going to be a fart joke, ideally you want it to be one of those farts from the pit of your stomach. One of those like real deep ones. <laughs> if you're going to fart on stage, fucking fart on stage, dude. Like let that shit last a long time. Well, that's like, <laughs> uh, uh, I forget what show it was, but uh, Christian Palak. Uh. I think he may have the ability to just like fart like at will. And I think that we were in a show, and uh, I think uh, we felt like it wasn't quite going well, or like the the audience had become uh, detached from the show. So he just like stepped out and he, he starts to like initiate a scene. It's like, okay, this is going to be like a Christian Palak scene. And then he just stops himself and just like, hold on, <laughs> you know, and it was just like, and there, there's a moment where I'm just watching it and I was like, no, that was real. Like, and it, and it, it almost sounded like, like the sound someone would make if they were like going to do a fart sound. Yeah, yeah. And some people are really good at like doing fart noises. Yeah. Um, but like it was like it was for real, and and it, and it brought the audience right back into it, which is great. Did you read uh, on AV Club? They did the oral history of Airplane like a month ago or two months ago. Did you happen to see that? Uh, no, I didn't see that. But I would I would love to to read that. It was great, and uh, a bunch of people were sharing the memories of Leslie Nielsen, and he uh-huh. like used to carry his fart machine around with him all the time. Uh-huh. And uh, I knew that he had his fart thing that he always found funny, but the way that they described it was so wonderful because like this is before anybody really knew him from uh-huh. you know like um, so apparently like between takes on set if he would see like like two pretty women on the set he would like sit next to them and introduce himself and say hello I'm Leslie Nielsen you probably recognize me from the movies and then he would uh, uh, turn on his fart machine but I didn't realize that he never told anybody he had a fart machine he would just like let it pass and then get up and leave <laughs> so completely like soil his reputation to everybody just to amuse himself and uh, um, I thought it was like the sweetest thing they were saying that towards the end of his life he was kind of uh, uh, losing it a bit and, mm-hmm. and uh, had dementia and like had a hard time recognizing people and stuff. But uh, he kept his fart machine in his pocket and would keep on using the fart machine until the very uh-huh. end of his days. There's something about that that like his last anchor to this reality, to yeah. this world is just like really committing to this 40-year-old fart joke. That reminds me of, uh, I heard a story uh, about uh, Mel Blanc yeah. uh, where... I forget what it, I think he had like a like a heart attack or a stroke or something, mm-hmm. and he was he was in the hospital and uh, uh, people were coming to visit him and, and trying to get him to uh, to respond, uh, and it's like I think it was uh, I think I was hearing like his son tell this story, and uh, and he he just wasn't responding for a while and then at some point someone was like, uh, hey Bugs, how's it going? And then Mel Blanc like responded as Bugs Bunny, yeah. Uh, and it was like the first time he had like uh, responded in a while. Uh, but just having like that that anchor where uh, even if like you wouldn't respond to it, like it's something that like reaches so deep, yeah. Uh, 
that, uh, yeah, you'll like, you'll, you'll trudge through like near death to like respond to that thing. There's power in those stupid voices, man. Yeah. They pull, they pull something out of you. Even, even after a stroke, they pull something out of you. Yeah. And it's, and it's weird how like there are certain things that like you respond to. Like, I, I think we're, we're getting to the age where, uh, people that we, we, we liked growing up, uh, are starting to pass, Yeah, you know, like, uh, in terms of like celebrities, uh, and it, it's, it's weird how, like how much that affects you, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I think the, the last one for me was like Leonard Nimoy, mm-hmm. like when he passed, like I, I, like I lost it, you know? Um, I would say like, uh, not not almost as hard but like uh like like my my brother passed last year and and when that hit me it hit me pretty hard um and i wouldn't say that like nimoy uh leonard nimoy uh passing affected me uh as much but uh it 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 was a lot closer to that than i would expect Mm -hmm. you know um and then you you start reading about like uh like people start telling like uh, uh Leonard Nimoy story you know it's kind of like a like a funeral where you know you start reminiscing about this person and uh you see like other sides to them and it's like wow like uh not only did they do this but you know they were just like a like a good humanitarian you know he was like a real artist uh you know and then that starts to affect you you know um i think kind of in a similar way like uh, you know, I, I went down, uh, for, for my brother's service to, to Atlanta and then, uh, like hearing all these stories, uh, uh, about him and it's just like, wow, what a good fucking person, yeah. you know? Uh, like, and you know, they're good, but you hear like other people tell stories and it's just like, holy shit, like even better than I thought. Yeah. Uh, and it just like, uh, uh, like those kind of things just like moved me. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I remember being, um, there's something about like, uh, like improv and, and death for me. Cause I remember when, when that happened, uh, I think, uh, the, the day I found out I had a show and then the, the, the next day I had a show. Um, and, uh, I think that, that helped me deal with it, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that, uh, after that, like that Monday, uh, I was, uh, I went to see the, the, the team performance workshop, uh, shows and they were like amazing. And it was like exactly what I needed and like a really fucking rough time. Uh, and I remember like a few years ago going to, uh, go to a JV show and I remember feeling kind of shitty, like really tired or, or, or sick or something and not wanting to go. And I'm like, uh, I think we're short tonight. I better just go. I'll go and I'll get it over with. I'll, I'll, I'll go back home. Um, and we ended up having like a, like a pretty good show. And afterwards in the, in the lobby there, there was this couple and, uh, 
they came up to me and uh, and Wiccans and were like, I just wanted to say that was a really good show. And, you know, it had like a little southern twang. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Uh, where are you guys from? I'm like, oh, we're from Houston. Oh, what brings you to New York? Oh, uh, uh, and then the guy's like, uh, well, her mother just passed, so we're in... Uh, we're here for the for the funeral, and it's like, holy shit, I'm so sorry. Uh, and then she's like, no, you have nothing to apologize for. This is the f- first time I've laughed all week, you know. Yeah. So just having like uh, being able to affect people like that uh, and get them through like shitty times is like uh, a really cool thing that 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 we get to do, you know. And you never like for the most part. Uh, you're probably not playing for someone that that's uh, having it that rough. Yeah. But once in a while, you are. Um, so I think it's 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 a really great thing that that we get to do. Uh, that we can, even if it's not something that bad, they just had like a bad day at work. You know that we can we can kind of shift someone's day a little bit. Yeah. You know. Uh, uh, affect them in a in a positive way, and there's so much like shitty things going on in the world, you know. Uh, getting to like in a very small way uh, throw something pleasant, hopefully out there. Uh, I think is uh, is 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 amazing. is is a great thing that we we have the opportunity to do. Jamie Rivera, that's a beautiful thing. Man. Thanks for talking. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. That's, that's, beautiful closing sentiments for this interview uh thank you jamie and thank you guys for listening this is the magna theater podcast i'd like to thank our producer evan ford barden our executive producer ed herbsman and our engineer grant michael goldberg uh i've been lewis kornfeld our guest today has been jamie rivera thank you all so much bye 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 you've been listening to the magnet podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.